0: And welcome to episode number 33 of The Music Plays the Band on the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kortz of the Dark Star Orchestra. I hope you all are safe and well today. Well, I'm sorry it's been a minute since our last episode. Uh, I got off the road after a pretty crazy six weeks, and I needed a moment to catch up with the family and recharge the batteries. I am happy to say that it worked. The band is enjoying some much-needed downtime uh, before we hit it hard for our spring tour in mid-May and I'm excited to be back here with you today. Before we get started, I would like to dedicate this episode to a past guest of mine, master guitar builder and designer of the wall of sound, Rick Turner, who passed away this week. This wonderful man was there at the very beginning and without him, the dead very well may have taken a completely different path when it comes to sound and audio. I'm very thankful that I saw him just a couple of weeks ago at the Skull and Roses Festival, where he was displaying some of his wares, including some of the basses and guitars that he built that were used by members of the Dead. And uh, a while back, he and I had an amazing conversation that I had split up and brought to you over four episodes, and I'm going to go back and put it all together again, plus a whole bunch of stuff that didn't air, and I'm going to release that as a special edition in the coming weeks. It it was a great interview with so much to learn about the Dead's early years, all the guitars he built and the equipment innovations he was responsible for, and much more. So if you never heard it, I think you will enjoy it. And if you did happen to catch it, there'll be a whole lot of never-released stuff for you to listen to as well. So once again, I want to dedicate today's episode to the late, great Rick Turner. Uh, Skull and Roses was a great festival for many reasons, one of which was getting to hang out a little bit with the very talented singer-songwriter and multi-instrumentalist Jackie Green. Uh, we had a nice chat, and he agreed to come on the program, and he's going to be my featured guest today. Jackie's had a prolific solo career, releasing numerous albums, has toured with some of my favorite artists, and of course has spent time playing with both Phil Lesh and Bob Weir. Uh, it was a great conversation. I really hope you're going to enjoy it, and we're going to get to that in just a few minutes. So as always, I'm glad you're here. And before we get to the first segment, I humbly ask you to support the podcast any way you can. There's the monthly Patreon subscription with giving levels starting as low as $5 a month, which gives you exclusive bonus content, including all the outtakes, expanded interviews and segments, videos and stories from the road, and much, much more. You can also make a one time contribution through PayPal, and a portion of all proceeds goes to the Rex Foundation, the charity started by the Grateful Dead. You can find out about all of this and more at www.themusicplaystheband.net and wherever you are listening to the podcast. Please rate, like, and review. Thanks very much, and here we go. The Black Music Moment is brought to you by The Clean Store, brandingandapparel.com for all your branding and apparel needs. Technology driven solutions and concierge service for managing programs of all sizes. The black music moment is our attempt at chronicling the profound influence of black music and musicians on the Grateful Dead. Today we honor the hardest working man in show business, the one and only James Brown. James Brown was born in Barnwell, South Carolina in 1933. He grew up in extreme poverty in South Carolina and later moved to Augusta, Georgia when he was five years old. He began singing in the talent shows as a young child and he actually won the very first one he was in. He learned to play piano, guitar, and harmonica, and was inspired to become an entertainer after hearing Caldonia by Louis Jordan. After a stint in prison at age 16, he met Bobby Bird, and they began performing gospel music together. Eventually, they went the secular route and took on the name The Flames. Thanks to an encounter with Little Richard, The Flames found management and signed with Federal Records. They had moderate success, but hit it big when they began performing as James Brown and the famous Flames. From 1960 to 66, Brown recorded and charted numerous hits, including Try Me, Please Please Please, Papa's Got a Brand New Bag, and the one we'll hear today, It's a Man's World. By 1967, Brown's emerging sound was being defined as funk music. That year, he released what some critics cited as the first true funk song, Cold Sweat, which hit number one on the R&B charts. All told... James Brown recorded 17 singles that reached number 1 on the R&B charts, and he also holds the record for the most singles listed on the Billboard Hot 100 that did not reach number 1. He put out scores of recordings including some incredible live albums that captured the fierce energy and raw emotion of his music and would go on to influence groups such as Sly and the Family Stone, Booker T and the MGs, Funkadelic, and Michael Jackson, just to name a few. He recorded strongly up until the mid-70s, before falling on some dark times that included drug abuse and incarceration in the late 1980s, but he had a resurgence in the 90s and his influence on artists never wavered. His concerts were extravagant, with his lifelong friend Bobby Bird acting as the MC for a production that sometimes employed upwards of 40 people. Incidentally, Brown was one of the very first acts to have two drummers in the band, and they are both legends in the game. He was one of the first inductees into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and he is listed at number 7 of Rolling Stone's 100 Greatest Artists of All Time. Now this is just a very, very brief look at James Brown, and I could really do a whole episode on a man who was so important, not only to contemporary music, but was an advocate for education, civil rights, and self-reliance. Brown died in 2006, but his music and legacies still have a far-reaching influence on music today. In fact, many of his tunes and grooves are the most sampled pieces of recorded music in history. It's a Man's World was released in 1965, and The Dead debuted it in April of 1970. The song was only in the repertoire for that one year, but each version was a gem. It clocked in at anywhere from 8 to 12 minutes, and would take a funky blues piece and really put a psychedelic spin on it. Pigpen just oozes with emotions when he sings, and the harmonies behind him are pretty great as well. James Brown's live versions of this would just be incredible as well. This is the studio version, which is uh, very good as well, but has a lot of string sections, you know, it was kind of that time uh, when James Brown and Ray Charles were using orchestras behind him and all that. But nevertheless, this is the original 1965 version of James Brown's It's a Man's World. into our feature conversation today, which is brought to you by Grateful Sweats. Grateful Sweats' subtle song designs will strike a chord for heads who get it. Search Grateful Sweats on Etsy for a wide selection of cold weather gear like hoodies, beanies, and of course sweatpants, as well as new items for the spring, with more than 30 designs like Tennessee Jed, Women Are Smarter, and my personal favorite Eyes of the World. They were set up at the Skull and Roses Festival with a great booth. I got to go over and check it out. And if you go to the Music Plays the Band Facebook page, you can see it for yourself. To see the entire stock, visit etsy.com slash shop slash grateful sweats or get there from the sponsors page at our website. And right now, if you use the code, the music plays, you can save 10% and receive a free pin. And don't miss out on the clearance section with items up to 80% off. So as soon as you're done listening today, head on over to Grateful Sweats. For our feature conversation today, I'm happy to welcome Jackie Green. You know, coming into the dead world after already establishing yourself as a prolific singer and songwriter makes your story a little different, and having your first real exposure to the music, be on stage with a member of the Grateful Dead, certainly gives Jackie a unique perspective. Okay, hello, good morning everybody, I am here today with Jackie Green, how are you sir? What's up man, how you doing? I'm doing great, thank you for taking the time to do this.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: My pleasure. We just really kind of sorted. We just met for the first time a couple of weeks ago at Skull and Roses, um, yeah. which obviously means we're both back out there playing again. Thank goodness. Yeah. Uh, what do you got going on these days and how do you stay busy during the pandemic?
1: Well, well, I've got I've got shows coming up. I just did a, a Colorado run with my buddy, Andrew, Anders Osborne, who I, I think you probably know, of course, yeah. Um, what, we actually were doing it again uh, on the East coast coming up here in the end of May. So that's good. So yeah, we're working. That's cool. Uh, you know, like everybody else, I, I kind of figured out how to do a live stream or something like that, you know, during the, during the pandemic, I, I uh, well, we also had, like, we were talking earlier. I had a, we had a baby during okay, the pandemic. So. It's like, we were kind of like, we were busy with, with that. <laughs> um, but I, I figured out how to do a live stream, uh, and I I called it live from backstage. Did it, I put it out on my Facebook page? Uh, every couple of weeks, I'd, you know, I take requests, and that was that was the show. And I kept pretty busy doing that, you know, all 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 year, you know. And then of course having a baby and
0: right yeah. that that'll take some time. When you and Anders go out, are you guys playing together, or is it double bill solo? What is that? Oh no,
1: we're playing together. I'm sorry. We're uh, the whole the whole deal is we we go up together. We trade songs. We you know, he plays on my stuff. I play on his stuff. It's 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 loose. It's um, it's fun. And we have another guy named Jonathan Sloane, uh, who who uh, is a songwriter and a guitar player, and he opens the show. And he, he'll join us uh, a couple songs in and we have like a, basically a trio. That does
0: so, and no, no backing band though, just the, just no, we just do acoustic right on, man. Very yeah. cool. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Awesome. Good for you, man. Well, if, if you don't mind, I'd like to go all the way back to the beginning for you. Sure. I know you were born in California. Yeah. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about your musical upbringing and kind of how you got started on your journey?
1: Sure. I, I was, uh, let's see. Well, I was born in 1980, so that puts me squarely as a 90s teenager. Right. And uh, which is, you know, looking back, it's great, you know, especially for um, a lot of music, a lot of music. Uh, But I I was really into rock, rock music. I was into the Black Crows. I was into Nirvana. I was into um, a lot of, I guess you would call it guitar rock, I guess, Mm. growing up. Uh, I got into high school and... Something, something changed uh, in, and there was a lot of boy bands, a lot of um, that kind of stuff. Uh, pop pop stuff was real big in, in my circle of friends. And I, man, I couldn't stand it. You know, I was like, ah, I like, I wanted this guitar stuff. And I sort of went through what I, t- what I literally went through my folks old record collection of vinyl LPs one summer. And I found all these old blues records and a particular record I found was uh, the genius of Ray Charles. And I'd never, you know, I played a little piano growing up, played a little guitar. By this time I'm, I don't know, 15 or so. Or no, excuse me, uh, right before high school. What is that? 13, 14. Right, right. And I I find this record the genius of Ray Charles, and I put it on. And immediately I'm like, oh man, I, I never heard piano like this. And I started learning how to play, you know, piano. Uh in that way and i don't know and i just like fast forward to some somewhere in like my junior year in high school my buddies and i are going out to see uh, buddy guy and bb king and all these like blues legends play at up in reno you they played like the Harris or the whatever you know what right. i mean so we're like the only kid these like these little ki- these kids going up there to see these shows a bunch of old folks are up there seeing these blue shows And I'm like, man, I just was really into that, into the music. And I I go back to high school and I was like this weird dude with, who liked all this weird music. And I don't know, it was like kind of an identity thing in some ways to, to be like not grouped in with like the, there's like the pop music and like the rave thing was kind of a a big deal. And I I wasn't really into any of that stuff. (coughs) Yeah, I just wanted like I was like longing for guitar players. And like that had like passed me by or had passed somehow. And I was like, what? You know,
0: (laughs) at that point, you're in the wrong generation.
1: (coughs) Yeah, I guess like maybe I felt like that a little bit. Like I was I was born too late or something like that, you know?
0: Had had you already started playing? I mean, when did you start picking up instruments and start to play?
1: I mean, I started playing when I was, when I was, my, my, my upbringing is, I said this like a million times, but it's kind of true. It's kind of like a bad country song. It's like my dad and mom split up when I was a little, when I was 10 and he left behind a guitar, (laughs) you know what I mean? And I learned how to play on that guitar. It's true. And, uh, and there was a piano in my house uh, and I never really had, I had about, let's see formal guitar training. I had a summer of it at some before high school, sometime before I was a kid, same with piano. I had a little bit of formal piano training, but it was all just ear.
0: So you just sat there and shed it on your own and were able to figure it out. I, uh,
1: with piano, I remember, I'm trying to remember some of the particular things that I, I remember being a kid and, and, and listening to like, uh, on the television, there's, like, theme, show, uh, theme songs from cartoons, and I could, like, pick out the melody on the, the busted piano that we have. And I remember there was a show called Swamp, Swamp Thing, a cartoon. It was on for, for a minute, and I could, I, could prop, I could, like, pick out the melody of the – I was a little kid. This is my mom. I don't really remember. My mom tells this story, so I don't really – you know what I'm saying? I'm, like, a little kid, so. Uh, yeah, I guess I could always do stuff like that. <laughs>
0: I read somewhere you started playing, like, for lack of a better term, playing out pretty early on.
1: Yeah. I Tell did. us I, a little bit about that. Well, I started, I, so right after high school, I started playing open mics, um, coffee houses, this kind of thing. Uh, I, I'm from, I'm from, Plac- well, I'm from Cameron Park, which is a town outside of Placerville. Which I think you guys know, you know, we were talking about the Hangtown Ball, weren't we, last yeah. time? Okay, yeah. So that's up, that's up that way. Uh, I would say that's what 98, 99. I started really trying to, I guess, get serious about writing and performing and like thinking that it was something that like might, might be it for me, you know, like something Brent. I could do, you know? Brent. Um, and I just played wherever I could I had I was in Sacramento. I played coffee houses. Uh, there was a, the, a place called the uh, Fox and Goose that had a open mic. I'd play every of those open mics. I could a place called the that's what it was called. I was trying to think of it. The true love coffee house uh, that's a throwback back in the day played every open mic I could there. We ended up getting I ended up getting a, a Tuesday and Thursday night uh, happy hour gig at like this biker bar from 3 to 7 you know and I get paid you know 50 bucks or whatever and I sing every Hank Williams song every blues number every everything I could you know everything I could think of and then I like sort of slip in my songs and like every once in a while you know and it's like you don't get the shit beat out of you, like, you just you're, slip you're in good yeah you, you just sort of slip like <laughs> Oh, cool. I'm good. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And uh, I did that. Uh, let's see. I, I, I did that until I met a man named Marty DeAnda, who was who met me at a open mic. Now, I can't remember which one now, but I, it's one of these ones. And he was like his ex insurance student. He wanted to get into the music business. And he's had a, a, a label that was releasing old records from like, records from 60s bands like the Bo Brummels and stuff like that and so he he became my manager and we made this record called Gone Wandering and it uh, by the way for like no money in like a little voiceover studio right Sacramento it sounds god it's horrible sounding but whatever it, it's, it's like you know but I got an album man yeah I got an album I'm like 20 years old uh so Marty, so we made this record and uh, from there I got started getting booked on uh, uh, more national tours. I opened up for Susan Zadesky. Uh, uh, oh, BB King and Buddy Guy. Again, ended up being an opening act for, for those guys. Um, wow. I just sort of progressed from there. And that was, I was I was young. I was like 22 at the time. So
0: Wow, man. When, when you're absorbed like your teenage years, because those are for all of us, musically especially, that's what those are our most formative times because we're just absorbing so much, yeah. and you're, you're absorbing these blues guys and 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 the, the rock of the day and the grunge and all that in the nineties, and you mentioned like Ray Charles on on piano, and I think you mentioned BB King and Buddy Guy. Are those three guys right then like your biggest influences at that point? Well, definitely at, at definitely at that point. Certainly when I
1: was in high school still, because I was really searching for that for something, you know, other than the landscape that was already there. And I I sort of felt that was like, not me. You know what I mean? I was like, man, I was like clinging to this. Like I kind of said earlier, I guess in my mind, it was like a guitar oriented kind of rock thing. And what I didn't realize is that I was, I did the same thing that like Zeppelin and those guys, they stumble upon this. this, this, I'm doing the same thing in my own, excuse me, in my own way. I realized that now I didn't realize at the time, because I'm literally like going through record collections and finding stuff. This is because you got to remember, this is before everybody had the internet. Like listeners should know that, like we're sitting here doing this on Zoom, but this is 1995, 90, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, our, our school had a computer lab and like you could log into this thing. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, eh, you know,
0: <laughs> it wasn't the research tool. It, it's not, around. it's not
1: the same thing, you know, right. like it is now, obviously. So point being is like, I'm finding all these, these uh this music from i guess uh, i guess my parents generation i suppose you know in some ways um and i you know i sort of i sort of bit into that and and ray charles was was a big part of that too At,
0: at that point as you're discovering all this stuff and discovering yourself musically are you looking at yourself as a guitar player or as a keyboard player first or are they equal
1: well, I certainly at that time, guitar player, like at, it, there was a point in, I would say my junior year in high school, it's like, I just wanted to be buddy guy. Like I had, like, I, I saved up a bunch of money to get a, well, not a bunch of money, but to get one of these crappy, like knockoff Stratocasters. It was like, I was like, like a Washburn, something around, you know? And uh, uh, just because I had seen him, he had his polka dot strat at the time i'd seen him in wherever he was at the Harris or whatever and in, in reno and i was like man i want i gotta have that you know it's like, so, <laughs> you know so definitely guitar guitar playing but i think the point i was making about about the race charles about that was when i heard that record it's like i started because i had played piano a little bit growing up like i said i was formally taught like a little bit, like a, like a summer of lessons kind of thing, you know? And then I, and then I uh, put on the Ray Charles thing. I was like, oh my God, I just want to play like that. I, I want to know music like that. That's, that's all I really want to do. And so from that point forward, I kind of changed my approach <laughs> to playing piano a little bit and uh, always tried to play more like, more like Ray, you know?
0: Right on. Um, again, so you're absorbing all of this music, all these different genres, just becoming who you are as a musician. Is the Grateful Dead even on your radar at that point? Not
1: at that. No, not at that point. And I, I, I spent. I met. Well, I met Phil in 2006, and I had made a couple records, and I had, you know, I barely heard. I, I, of course, I heard of the Grateful Dead, but I didn't really know that much stuff. You know, I knew trucking, something, maybe something like that, and I, I, I met Phil and. I guess in some ways it's like finding finding your next favorite band way late in life, but it's, I guess it wasn't way late in life late or sort of like, you know, later that most people find their favorite bands in their, when they're teenagers, you know, I was a little bit older, I guess.
0: <laughs> as, as you start. So you really didn't know any and he starts to turn you onto it. Cause you're going to play with them and all of that.
1: Yeah. He starts to turn me on to it. I end up with the, I end up with the, well, I'll just tell you, I'll just, I'll tell you the story. We sure. We're, uh, when, uh, so this is 2000, well, I met Phil in 2006. So that must've been the, the Bonnaroo festival either that year or before that we were playing uh, and he, people had mentioned that he came to see us play and I was like, oh, that's awesome. You know, who's Phil? <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> who's Phil? And uh, I, I was, you know, I, they explained to me who he was. And he called, we were, I, I was living in San Francisco at the time, and he calls me, I had a studio with, with my friend Tim Bloom of the Mother Hips up in the Mission. And we, Phil calls me out of the blue one time. I, I don't know, still to this day, I don't know how he got my number, but I'm sure it wasn't that hard to get for Phil. <laughs> at the time. And, he, and he, calls, he calls me up and he, he mentions that he's got or there's, there's an idea for a television show about some band that, you know, it's X, X number of years on, and they need this material for this fictitious band, this, these songs. And can you help us write some songs? I thought, great. That's my kind of my wheelhouse, you know, not, I'm not like a jam band dude. I'm not a, you know, uh, so we hang out and we, he comes up to the studio and or no, actually, yeah, the first time we met, he came up to he came up to our studio and I, yeah, we went and had dinner. That was that was a fun night. And then the next time we met, I went to the plant in Sausalito and we started working on some demos that I had for just some, you know, these random tunes at the time. And the next thing I know, John Mollo shows up. <laughs> <laughs> Larry Campbell shows up mullet shows up and the next thing I know we're playing friend of the devil <laughs> something like that and,
0: <laughs> and now you're in it
1: yeah now we're in it it feels great and it's you know or something and and, and before I know it like we're, you know Phil's calling rehearsals say let's take this band on the road so I, I there's a long way of saying I, I I got swept into it without ever really knowing what hit me and you know i didn't know that much material when we first started and you know we would do these rehearsals at phil's place and i would he would give me these big stacks of cds that had all these recordings on them or dvds or whatever all these files and we'd be like mad go through all that stuff and you know what are the songs what, what are the songs that that you like you know and, and lo and behold there's like a ton of them you know that's kind of what i'm saying it's like you get handed the songbook you know by one of the guys and he's like hey check this out <laughs> you know?
0: so, so as you start like, listening Whoa. to it so so now you're exposed to all this new music and this leads just to, to just so many questions but yeah as you're starting to hear it what's your first impression what i mean obviously you dug it so what was it about this music that grabbed you was there like a holy shit moment
1: well sort of uh most of the holy shit moments uh, well there's there's been several of them but I would say the song, you know, like Broke Down Palace or A Sugary or a song that like I'm hearing it and I'm like, man, I, you know, I also hear the past in it, like the references. And I'm like, oh, man, like that's like where I'm coming. That's that's the stuff I like, too. You know, they like the same stuff. Right. You know, and, uh, uh, and I'm like, how is this? I guess part of it's like, well, how is it never like entered my radar in the way that it that it did? And I guess I, maybe that's a little bit. I don't want to like give the impression that I had no idea who the Grateful Dead were. Do you know right, what I'm sure, saying? No. It's just I just didn't. You know, wasn't my wasn't my forte. Well, it, and,
0: it's it's easy to know who they are because there's songs out there that everybody's hearing. But that's a, that's sure. different than being fully immersed into the world and yeah, the right, catalog. Yeah. So I, I get it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I would consider myself now a deadhead, where back then I definitely wasn't. So,
0: well, I'm sure then, as you've listened, I mean, you've listened to so much of it now. You know, like the Dead, especially early on really early on the pig pen stuff and all that were really influenced by the old blues players. Yeah. As were you. Yeah. Is is, is that connection one of the things that attracted you to it?
1: Well, it's one of the, well, it's one of the things that as I got to playing with Phil and we, he'd start pulling out these tunes, like you say, some of this older stuff and I go, Oh, you know, I mean, it's, and it's a big boss man or something like that. I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, that's my wheelhouse, dude. You know? And, and, and I'm like, Oh, and I hear, pig clinton blow a little bit i'm like okay this is I'm like i like this you know what i mean like this is this is the band this is okay it was a blues band all right i got for a minute you know what i mean sure and i'm like i love that you know
0: is is that so, kind of one of the, the the eras of the dead that appeals to you most
1: no not actually no not necessarily what i was going to say is like the these moments like in broke down palace and in and late, and uh, what's the song? I love to got the, uh, I love to do it now. Um, not standing on the other one. Uh, uh, so many roads, you know, where there's like a maturity that's like a songwriting maturity that's ridiculously, I am- mean, that's like has all these influences is what, I, what I'm saying. And it comes to the table with them. And as someone who writes songs who has those influences, I go, geez, you know, that's amazing. You know, like I get it. Like I, I wish that was my song. Right. That's, That's what right. it is. That's what it is. That's what it always is with all the, like my favorite shit. It's I wish that was my song. <laughs> That's, <laughs> And I got a lot. And my point is I got a lot of that when I started going through that stack of, of material, I was like, Oh, there's another one. I wish that was my song, right. another, you know, <clears throat> you know what? Uh, uh, um, I love uh, some uh, uh, China doll stuff like the real beautiful songs. Like, yeah, I don't know. So it, to me, it's, to me the, the, impro- the improv, the inventiveness and all, all this stuff is like the icing on the cake. And the cake is, in fact, that, hey, this is great. These are great. Chris is great material and a great band. And that's like bottom line, you know, and it's like without any of that, it's like I'm not sure I would have been interested in like, do you know what I'm saying? Or anybody.
0: I do. It all comes down to the songs, of course. And, and I want to talk to you more 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 about the songwriting in a minute because I want to ask you a few more things before we get there. You know, we talked about being rooted in the blues. You're also, from all your influences, you're deeply rooted in the Americana thing. Um, what's your first reaction when you hear the acoustic dead stuff? And did that, what kind of impression does that make on you as a musician, the working men's Dead and the American beauty?
1: Well, I mean, that's that, see, to me, that's it right in with what I was saying earlier. That's like the songs that are because anything from there, like the Casey, uh, or what's on Working Man's Dead. Sorry, um, Speedway, right? Yeah. Stuff like that. Like I do Speedway every day. Now <laughs> it's like I was like, well, how has that not been a song that I've done forever? You know what I mean? When I heard a song like that, I'm like, oh, uh, like that stuff is just from a from a songwriting standpoint. It's like it's right. It's like it's kind of right where I wanted to be. You know, it's like, I'm like, man, that's, that's really great. But, you know, it's like, it's all the right, it's all the influences that I, that that I would wear on my sleeve anyway. <laughs> you know. Right.
0: So you don't know a ton of the repertoire. Phil hands you the stack says, start listening, learn the tunes. This is what we're going to do. Yeah. W- what's your process for learning it? Are you just learning? Are you charting Are you listening to 10 different versions of a tune? How, how are you absorbing it?
1: No, uh, I, I'm, I, this is, uh, that's a really good question because this is something that, At the beginning of that journey, uh, it's just like it was more like, I mean, it was more like it was I was afraid, you know, I was super freaked out because it was like, it's really overwhelming to have like a stack of material that you don't know. And that's kind of difficult, you know, if you're a guitar guitar player, I can't remember. It's like. The first time I learned, I learned I, it took me a long time to learn. I go, you know. Yeah. The and I, thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, now I call it the Garcia Challenge. So I'm <laughs> Man enough to take the Garcia Challenge. You know, it's like, <laughs> but like, that took like a year for me to get comfortable doing that. You know what I mean? So, you know, at, at the beginning of having like a just a stack of stuff to to learn was, was daunting. But the cool thing, and you mentioned Larry, is like Larry, like something like that, like Slipknot, like I would, I would you notice know, that first year I just play chords underneath Larry as best I could, because I couldn't even really grasp onto that yet. And every, every couple nights when, when that song would come back around again, you know, I'd give it a shot. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, uh, and I think they like the spirit of that whole thing, you know, I'm like, sure give it another world, give it another world kid. Here it comes. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're
0: the fresh young guy who's learning yeah. this stuff and, and it's, it's new. Like,
1: and there's something about like, that like, I don't know. There's like, a, Larry's a generation older, you know, and he's just like adept at all this stuff, and he's teach me a lot of this stuff. And I'm just trying to hang on. All right. right.
0: <laughs> so for that first year that you're doing this, or those first couple tours, like literally, you're just trying. You're like the deer in the headlights, saying, "God, don't fuck." I'm this a deer
1: in a. He- I'm a deer in the headlights. Don't screw this up. But I also, oh, that's what. Sorry, I got sidetracked. We're talking about how. So so now. I, the first thing I did is I, I listened to all this material, and the things that just jumped out at me, like the, the tunes, and there's a bunch of them. You know, I said some of them, "Sugary," all this stuff. Actually, the funny thing is, the first time I ever sang "Sugary," I had never heard it before. He put it on the set list,
0: and, and you'd never heard it before.
1: Not, not. I mean, I've heard reference to it, but I've never heard like the dad doing "Sugary." Ever, you know?
0: Here's the song. Sugary. Go out and sing it. Have a good time, kid.
1: Yeah, have a good time, kid uh, setless game in the morning. So, I, you know, I had a few hours before sound soundcheck <laughs>
0: <Wow>. <laughs>
1: to learn the thing. I said, Phil, I, I've never heard this song. And he said, you'll be great. Don't worry about it. You'll be great. <laughs> and I'm listening to it. I'm like, Oh, I mean, it's just like, Oh, I got it. It's, it's a shuffle. Okay. You know, here we go. All right. Oh, and then I hear this five minor, this, these changes. And I'm like, damn, that's sexy. And like, And I'm just like, damn. And, but yeah, the first time I sang, I'd never, I'd never really heard it prior to that day of doing it. So, but it's funny because the only reason I mentioned that is because now, like, fast forward to now, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's the opposite of that. It's almost like it's in my bloodstream. It's never not been, you know? That's awesome. And maybe, and maybe it always was. And it's just like, and maybe it's like, I don't know. There's like a, that whole experience with phil being the guy who didn't you know didn't really know you know know that much about, about the material and the culture and everything it's like maybe that was kind of refreshing to phil in I'm some sure it ways was. i you know, know it was i'm sure it was because it's you know i don't have the well he he told me that one time he's like i don't he's like i don't no, you don't know what jerry did in 1975 cuz you weren't there you know i'm like he's i'm like he's like that's a good thing you know He's like, you don't have, you know, I'm like, I get it. I get that. You know, it's just like I have no possible reference for that. Well, so. And
0: he definitely dug on that. I, I mean, I know that for a fact, just, you know, from Baracko and my band who played with him for so long. That's why he picks not just yeah. you, but he will pick somebody who's from outside the, the circle yeah. of the dead world to bring it in and freshen it up and change yeah. the pace of it and all that. Was he giving you a lot of direction or did he pretty much give you carte blanche to interpret stuff your way? I mean, you don't know any of it, so you're learning it as you go. I don't know I don't know any of it and we're learning it as I go, as, as, as we go. And I think there was,
1: I think it's just an organic feel cause it's, it sort of seemed like there would be things that would really pop like immediately. And it's, it's kind of things that to be expected that were sort of in my wheelhouse, the speedway, that kind of thing that like, but then there's a couple of things that would take a minute that uh, at, at first I, I was kind of uncomfortable. I'm trying to give you an example, but now it's like, Oh man. Oh, an example would be, um, Oh, even just singing "Help on the Way," um, for whatever for whatever reason, it just wasn't in my wheelhouse, and now I love it. You yeah. know. And was it because like, of a phrasing thing? No, it's because we would. Uh, but no, it's just the sing. It's just singing the tune, just like it was just a, you know, in the list of so many good, good ones, it just wasn't on the thing for me. Gotcha. and I was like, but we'd always do it because it's such a staple, and I would sing it night after night, and at some point, I'm like when I, I I was like, Oh dude, okay. You know, it's just, there's a comfort thing that happens. And, um, and now it's like, I love it. So I don't know. It's, there's some things that just real that really pop to begin with. And then that's what I mean. It's sort of like a normal band where it's like some things it's like, you kind of got to work on a little bit and
0: eventually it grows in grows on you and eventually grows
1: on you. And then the next thing you know, when you're doing the multiple night runs, it's like, it's really happening because it's like, and and it's like, you know, to Phil's credit, it's like, he, he got me there. Like he's like, all right, we're gonna keep doing this because this is one of the things that we do. And you know, I'm like, all right, you know, and I'm like, cool, you know.
0: As 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 you start really keying in and analyzing the music, you start listening to more and more of it. And I would assume at that point, particularly the guitar players, what 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 kind of effect did that have on your playing style?
1: Well, I, for me, I always I always figured I'll never be able to sound like that, like the expressiveness and talking about Jerry and that kind of playing, he's one of those guys that's like, it's like Derek trucks and and like Clapton, like these guys who have a voice, you know, on their guitar. He has a voice too, but like on a voice voice, but on his guitar is playing. That's unmistakably that person, you know? Yeah. And guitar players always want to get to that point. like where it's unmistakably that person. Uh, I'll use Derek as, as an example. Uh, We were playing, Phil and friends was playing with the Allman Brothers band on a tour. And Derek came to sit in with us and he didn't have his normal SG. He used my telly. And I think it was like an AC 30, like a Vox amp, completely opposite of what he he was using at the time and normally uses. I look over at him and he's playing, he starts to play. And it sounds exactly like him. It doesn't sound any different. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, of course, you know, because he has a, it just sounds like him. No matter what he does, it's him. Uh, There's, you know, a handful of people like that. And Jerry Garcia is one of those people when you hear him, no matter where you hear him, you could kind of pick him out of another band. You know what I mean? He's like playing in some other weird, he's a million recordings of the guy in a million different bands in weird places. He's like show up at some, you know, barbecue somewhere and some dude's recording it, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's like there he is. Hey, there's that. <laughs>
0: for me, you know, then there's, there's it's hard for other people to understand that. But for drummers, there's drummers like that. You know, yeah. if if you hear if, for me, if as a drummer, if a drummer hears Steve Gad, he knows it's yeah. Steve Gad. If yeah. a drummer hears Jim Keltner, he knows it's Jim Keltner. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They have on. Yeah, on. Yeah, there you go. Perfect, Perfect.
1: one. Yeah, um, it's it's a voice. It's it's hard to explain to the listeners, but it's like that's the best way to do it. It's like a voice. It's like super recognizable. You could it's distinct to that person, you know,
0: and and, and him and Bob, Jerry and Bobby, I mean, so different, two very distinct styles.
1: Yeah. Different voices. You know,
0: what What did you gather or take or from Bobby's voice, if you will, his guitar voice? What is what does that do to you as you start to hear it and really study this music and see where it fits in and everything? Well,
1: I, I mean, well, for I was going to say, you know, Bobby and I, I would point out like the sort of the obvious songs that bought like like playing in the band or like the or what's the what the uh what do we like to do the um what's that in, the, in e jack Straw or something like that that have sort of like a rhythmic uh an interest he has like real interesting rhythmic pattern i guess you could say rhythmic patterns and parts He's pretty good parts guy
0: mm-hmm. would, would you say oh yeah um, uh, unlike so, anybody else
1: yeah so it's like and it's weird because that's never really been like i've always been the guy in the band to like hey go whale ah you know I mean? it's like, and it's like but I, the guitar player in my in my band nate is a real parts guy you know and it's like guitar players kind of know what that means when you when you say that so like you really hone in on like it be real consistent with and create a, a good part for the song and i hear that you know with especially in, like recordings and stuff with bob you know on, on bob's stuff too like you hear and playing with him, you, you play with him and you, and you notice that how did he, you know, he figured out to get up here on the neck to stay out of your way. If you're down here, Cowboy core G or something right. like that, you know? And he's like, always thinking that way. And I'm like, that's a parts guy. Cause he you know what I mean? He wants to accompany. And I'm like, wow, that's a, that's, that's rare. That's like a super rare, super rare ability. That's, you
0: know? that's somebody who not only technically has that ability, but spiritually and mentally can keep his ego in check and do what yeah. matters for the music. Yeah.
1: it can have, it can also, it just has a vision too. It's like, yeah. it's real easy to like, just sit there and do exactly what the other guy's doing. If you're a guitar player, you know, cowboy chord G C and we, and I'm not like shitting on that cause we all do that. We all have to just to get through the song. If we especially if we don't know the tune, but Bob's Bob can always get up here and he could find a different phrase and he could do, something that you're not doing. And that's makes for good music. You know, that that's a good recipe.
0: Um, you also play we talked earlier about it. You play a lot of piano organ as well. Cause I know you had piano and organ set up the other night. Uh, the dad obviously had numerous people in that chair over the years for various reasons. Does any one of them, as you listen to the music, does any one of them appeal to you more uh, either from a playing or an emotional standpoint, does one of those keyboard players just grab at your heartstrings?
1: It's hard, to, it's hard for me to, to tell. My, I've always, I don't really know. Like I've never really gotten that into keyboard the keyboard side of the dead because I'm always in, that, in the context of like Phil and Bob. It's like I'm either singing or playing guitar usually. Right. So it's kind of like, I mean, I'll, I'll say this much. Whether it's Crosby or Comente or any of these guys over there that really know the stuff, like especially, especially those two guys. like If I don't know what I'm doing, that's who I look at. Sure, man. I'm I'm like because they know what's going on so it's like for me to like go over to and, and mess around on a keyboard it's like what why are you why yeah and and but but to that being said like Comenti loves it when i come over there and i i play with him so it's like you know
0: i'm sure he does man it's I've, just you know I've, i don't I've know had, <laughs> i've actually i've had both of them on the show as, as a yeah. matter of fact to talk about it um we talked about how you played with phil but you also did the acoustic thing, and I guess it was probably God ten years ago or so. You did the acoustic thing with you and Bob and Chris Robinson.
1: Yes. Um, oh yeah, how, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: How'd that come about? God, I can't remember.
1: How did we do that? <laughs> uh, you know, what we i kind of think at the time I want to say we were somehow we were hanging out at TRI at, at Bob's studio, and he had—I think I feel like he was just did something there. We were all there and. Christmas and we ended up playing music somehow and and we ended up taking the thing on the road. I don't, I'm not sure that it, I have no idea, honestly, how it came together, but (laughs) it did, (laughs) but it did. I mean, I'm just trying to think of like, what were we there because we were going to tour or were we there? And then we did, we tour
0: after that. I know you did. I don't know if I know you and Bob did at least a duo thing at TRI that you put out.
1: Yeah, but then Bob and I, then I opened for Bob on an acoustic tour, and I'm, that may have happened after that, so, or is that before that? It was the same year, but one of the other happened, and then uh, uh, Chris came, and we were, was that February? Dude, I'm such a stoner, and this is like over 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I... There's no way I'm going to remember that, man.
0: (laughs) But it was cool and it was fun. It was
1: fun. It was cool. We had a good time. (laughs) We
0: played a lot of cool songs. But yeah, that's my question, because that's so completely a 180 from the Phil and Friends thing that you've done. But I'd imagine I haven't looked, but I'd imagine there's some tunes that you played in both groups. So. How different is that? And how much fun is it to approach those songs in a different setting like that?
1: Well, oh, well, I'll say this much. I, I, I met, so we, we opened for Rat Dog on a summer tour sometime before that. So I'd met Bob before that.
0: Jackie Greenbad had.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So years before that. So I'd met and been friendly with Bob before that. And I'm just trying to remember how the, that trio came about. But I, I, I do remember now that Bob was interested in doing, like, not necessarily Grateful Dead, stuff but like old folk songs um kind of stuff old timey kind of kind of things and do it as more of a string band setting you know no drums just like the guitar um i had a, i have a band guitar and a, a mandolin so that seemed to work you know with chris he and chris could play guitar and then i could sort of switch off on those things uh and that was the initial idea and i think we ended up pulling a lot like Dire Wolf and a lot of these songs that sort of fit into that, I guess, old timey. I guess you would say, kind of, kind of sound, string band, string band sound, and and performed a lot of those. So I wouldn't say it was like curated necessarily because we did sort of, we did sort of like everybody came to the table. Well, that is curated, I guess. I, I say curated by Bob because everybody brought songs. Chris brought some Stanley Brothers stuff. I think. Uh, I think I brought. Ah, some old bluegrassy stuff. I can't remember And and we we kind of threw those all in the pile and just started started doing those songs. And from there we picked
0: dead songs to, to right cush, cush, cushion the set. <laughs> sure. Well, that's plus the fans need to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> they expect yeah. at least a little bit. Oh, we needed Uncle John's band. Let's go.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> was was that was that collaboration with Bob and Chris? Was that and hanging out with Chris there? Is that what led to your gig with the Black Crows?
1: Oh, okay, that happened before that. Okay, that, oh, that was 2013. Yeah, that, that was before the Black Crows, yeah. Okay, so that was 2000. Uh, I guess so, because why I met, I mean, I, I met, I've met so many folks, great folks through through Phil. I met Bob through Phil, Warren, Haynes, uh, and Derek, and all all the Allen Brothers folks. Um, well, that's funny. That's another. That's actually sorry. As an aside, I remember. I can't remember. I forgot to tell you this. When I was in. That's just always blown my mind. I was, I think I was like 18, 17 or 18. I went to see Bob Dylan play at the, whatever the sleep chain amphitheater up here. And uh, Phil and friends was on the bill mm-hmm. at the time. And at the time, Larry Campbell was in Bob Dylan's band, <laughs> but I saw them play and fast forward to whatever, 10 years later, it's like, I'm sitting here, I'm sitting in Phil's band with Larry Campbell. And I'm just like, like, as to this day, it's like, it's like a weird, it's like a dream, you know. Well, that, like,
0: that that goes along with this. You mentioned how when you were younger that the Crows were one of the bands you loved, and was yeah, like, right, right,
1: okay, that's okay. Sick. yeah, I was kind and of trying play to play with them, back.
0: yeah. And so
1: through Phil, I, I've met, like I said, I met all these folks, uh, and it, yeah, and I guess that must have led to to the 2013 Luther. Luther couldn't play with the Crows. Chris called Chris and Steve called Actually, I knew Steve because Steve and I were uh, the drummer. We're playing in a band uh, group called Trigger Hippie.
0: Yeah. With Joe. That was.
1: Yes. Yes. So I I knew. Actually, I knew all of the crows except for Rich at the time, as a matter of fact, or in Sven, I didn't. Yeah. No, I knew Rich, too, because we we had met on a on a gig. So I just didn't know Sven. So it's just like one of those things where it's like, oh. Jack, you know, Jackie might be able to do it, like, let's call him up. And so they called me up and. I think it was uh that tour started, and it was a whole year it was it was a lot of work it was a whole year deal it was like a we were we were gone like it was a, probably the longest tour I've ever done i mean there were break there were breaks in it, but it was a lot that that was a long tour uh we We went in for rehearsals in New York sometime in the winter, and <laughs> i remember we got through like i think we got through i don't know like some of like hard hard to handle and I don't know, something else jealous again or something. And it's like, we ordered pizza. <laughs> and it was like, I think we ended up playing like maybe six tunes in like the four days <laughs> before we left for Manchester.
0: Incredibly intense rehearsing.
1: Yeah, and then we fucking rocked. It was rad. Yeah. So that that band is like go time. It's like a go time band. It's like, you know, a band that practice really well, but then like don't do, Well, at showtime, that's the other band. That's the opposite. Crows, crows are like all showtime. You know,
0: (laughs) that's that's the more important time for sure, man. Yeah. We're gonna get back into our conversation with Jackie Green, but I'd like to take a minute and tell you about Beth Koritz. She is a psychotherapist, intuitive clarity coach, and founder of the Authenticity Academy. For the past twelve years, she has been supporting her clients to fully embody their authenticity and create the life they desire with her three-step clarity coaching program. This is your time to gain clarity, defining yourself by who you really are and not what you do, increase your confidence by activating your inner powers, and take soul-led action, creating a life in alignment with your purpose, passion, and desires. If you're ready to learn more, book a free 30-minute clarity call with Beth Koritz visit www.yourclarity.coach or the sponsor page at themusicplaystheband.net Beth is looking forward to supporting you on your journey and now let's get back to our conversation with Jackie Green we touched for a minute on songwriting but I want to go back and get into it Um, you're obviously writing and performing your own tunes long before you get to know the dead and now we touched on it just a bit but now you hear this whole new canon of incredibly well-written songs. Yeah. So does that exposure to Hunter and Barlow alter or affect your consciousness or the way you decide you're oh, yeah. going to keep writing? Oh, yeah. That's
1: the biggest. I would say that's the biggest influence by far on, on me is, is that because that's really what I could take from it and, 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 and make my own. And utilize and put into the world, you know, is the is the the kind of lessons that I would learn from listening and playing those songs. And I'll tell you, I mean, I never, I think I I made a record called Till the Light Comes, which is right around the time of all that stuff, right after playing with Phil for a year. And every single song, or not every single song, many of the songs on that record are like, I'll I'll do things where I'll have a coda or like a different kind of an alternate ending or like a time change you know, and I would play with these things because I had heard them done very, very well in Grateful Dead songs, you know, and that's the kind of, I was saying, the kind of things I would pick out of like, Broke Down Palace is a good example where it starts with one key and then it, it modulates after the first verse and you're like, what? And it like, and it, and you don't really notice, frankly, and it's beautiful. And so I hear stuff like that, you know, a lot of, it's hard to sort of pinpoint any one thing but it's sort of like, it's these little things that I learned. Like I learned a long time ago that Bob Dylan could tune his low e, e string down to a low C, put a capo on it and then play, play E chord as a C chord. And you still get that low, the low E. I'm like, Oh, that's how you get that shape with that. And it's like, it sounds right in the song. Right. So it's like fast, you know, I would learn about songwriting these things I didn't know before things like like, like I said, I could, Oh, I could take this song. I could have a whole different part of a song and call it like a, a coda and have a different ending and you know, that, that kind of thing. And i never like, wow, these guys did that, you know, I'm like, and they're great. And I love these songs. So to me, it's uh, like, that's what I, that's still what I take away to this day. The the most is just, I'm just amazed at how, how well these
0: songs are, are written.
1: And and again, it's just like, damn! I wish that was my song. You know?
0: <laughs> that's that's all on like a on a melodic and a harmonic level, and, and devices and changes and progressions and all that. What about on a lyrical level? You know, I mean, well, that no, no, all of that. That's what I mean. Yeah, it's it's,
1: and I, I guess from a lyrical perspective, I I, I kind of I'll use "Broke Down Palace" again. I mean the the language she's using is like it's like a gospel song or something you know and it's you've heard it before you are you know what it is it's an archetype you know kind of thing um but it's not cliche because because he's not using this he's not using exactly the same words he's giving you the feeling of that it's like what oh what did it say Picasso says what he says what he says uh, art's a lie that makes you realize what the truth is, something like that, right? Something like that is, is is tricky, you know? And it's like, man, it's so good, you know?
0: When Hunter, I mean, Hunter and Barlow, both incredible writers, my favorite writers, but very, very different, you know? In In my opinion, anyway, and I'm not a songwriter, but, you know, Hunter is writes with characters and story songs and Barlow kind of writes sometimes on a little bit more topical way. Does one of those, does one of those song, those songwriters appeal to you more? Not that you don't love them both. I'm not saying that. But No. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I would just say that I, I would always say that for me, I I've never really been that topical of a, of a songwriter. I've always sort of, I wouldn't say character driven, but I do, I it's not appreciate. I do. I will go that route in my mind and I will go, well, frankly, I could be tangential in a song, and I can get away with it because I could figure out a way in the chorus to make it make sense. Yeah. So to to me, it's not so much like I I, I don't think there it's like there's one or the other. Like you could be uh, what did word you use? Did you you said uh, uh, um, you said about Barlow? Uh, how he's more topical sometimes. Topical. I, I think you I think you could be both. I mean, you could take a topic. And you could be, what's, what would be a good word? You could be pretty loose and you could be pretty, well, a good archetypal and, and take a topic and two people can interpret it in two different ways. And then it's not really topical anymore. It's way, gen, way more general all of a sudden. But yet you're being topical, right? So I think there's, there are ways to do that. And I don't, I'm not sure that I prefer. Uh, Well, no, I will say I I don't set out to write topical songs. So necessarily, I don't set out with a topic in mind necessarily.
0: I'm interested in your take. As you come in and start playing with Phil, this is a whole new world for you Mm -hmm. coming from where you come from. I'm interested in your take on the Grateful Dead community and the fan base. I mean, you hadn't been exposed to it much before your time was <laughs> What What's your first impression when you discover this? I mean, oh, my
1: God, man. There, there was a there was a I I God bless her. There's a woman named named Kathy who is who is Phil's biggest helper. And she uh, she passed away years ago. But
0: she, Kathy Sunderland.
1: Yep. You, you can. were well. Yeah. So she <laughs> she once told me when I first we first went on the road and she came on the road. us, She goes, because no, I was like the baby, you know, like and this is Grant I think. Graham came out with us and he was even a little younger than he was younger than me at the time because he was still in school. Yeah. Kathy goes, Jackie, if you put your drink down, don't take your eyes off of it. (laughs) I said, Kathy, why? She said she just looked at me. She said, just don't take your eyes off it. and she was just messing with me. She was, t- she, she, I was like, is someone going to dose me? Are you crazy? That's insane. People don't do that Not anymore. 30 years ago then yeah, she, she had me thinking, right. she had me thinking she was messing with me, but like, you know what I mean? And, but I was like, man, but she was really looking out for me. Uh, what, it was a whole new, it was a new thing for me. Like I'd never seen people set up in a parking lot like that, except for at like a, Raiders game,
0: you know, (laughs)
1: never really saw that before, you know, not at a concert, you know, not anything that
0: I'd I'd seen. So what do you think it is? I mean, what is it about this music that, that what's good causes this, these people who want to be out there and go to show to show and not miss a song and not miss the scene. What, what is it that makes this happen? And you're, you know, as you come in and look at it from the outside and get into it, I think an
1: unsophisticated thing to say would be that, oh, it's just, it's just culturally driven and kids need a place to go. But that's not it. It's, not, it's something else. And in, in the case of the dead, the case, it's just this music is that good. <laughs> it's, the music is that good that everybody wants a piece of it, you know? And, uh, and that's okay, you know? Like, it's, it's, that's what the songs are for. It's like, and to their credit, they've given the songs, uh, you know, they're, they're okay with all of this, you know? They love it. So they're really, I, well, okay, so uh, one time we were playing, Phil and Friends was playing, Levon, Levon's group was opening, Larry was doing double duty, and Larry was playing with Levon and, and, and playing with Phil, and we were playing in uh, I can't remember exactly where, uh, someplace, one of the outdoor sheds, and Levon's on stage, starts raining, like sideways rain, Forrest Gump rain, you know? <laughs> and It gets nasty and you see the crowd. It's probably a couple thousand people just peel out, just split. And I remember Larry runs off the stage. It's like microphone stands are flying around and leave. There's like shirts coming off. He's playing. He doesn't care. (laughs) 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 He doesn't care. He's playing through it. And I think, and finally he calls it. Nobody. It's like, okay. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, we're done, dude. We're, we're going to be like, you know, we're rained out. We're going to have to cancel. We go out. We start drying off our equipment. The thing gets postponed by a couple hours. Long story short, it clears up. There was like 3,000 deadheads just waiting around. They all came back. Hours later, show went on almost without a hitch. I mean, we had like a lot of our gear was broken, but whatever. I mean, we, you know, from the rain. But And I remember just thinking to myself, going, looking out there going, I don't see a single person that went home. There's no other band in the world No other music in the, like, I've never seen that before. Like any, I would have gone home if it was, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, like this thing's rained out this, I got the babysitter. I got, you know, come on, what's going on. I, ah, you know, sounds like a bad date night. You know what I mean? It's like, but no, no, they were all stayed. And I'm thinking about, so what band, what is this? What is, it's a phenomenon I've never, never seen before. And like, like, oh, that shit's powerful.
0: Yeah. Powerful testament to the music. That's what I was just about to say. Yeah. And, and, you know, you were talking about that in the songs and all that. And I just want to say for me personally, you know, I grew up with the dead. I didn't get into it till the 80s. I'm in my 50s. I'm a little older than you, but not old enough to be in it back in the day. But when I discovered it in high school in the 80s, all of a sudden those songs are are words to live by for me. Yeah. Very well let your life proceed by its own design. What else is there? So I put them up there with the greatest songwriters of our generation. Oh,
1: easily that. I mean, I guess if I didn't say that earlier, that's kind of what I, that's what I'm saying. It's like, to me, I come across the dead and to me, it's like, I put that in the, I was a big Bob Dylan fan. Like at that time, Bob Dylan, Tom Waits, these songwriters like that. And I find this, that that's what informed me and all my work up to that point. And I find this other band, you know that has been on the periphery sort of always
0: aside aside from playing with phil and bob which we've talked about so much we talked about you touring as a member of the crows you've you mentioned a couple of these bb king taj mahal buddy guy government mule my favorite band in the world los lobos who are oh yeah, yeah, yeah man. all-time yeah. favorite band oh yeah these are, these are such great gigs for you not just for the exposure, but for the opportunity to learn so much, you know, especially as, as you're young and opening for all these people out of all these artists that you toured with do any stick out as, 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 as major influences or even teachers as you continue on your journey.
1: Well, yeah, I, I would, I mean, you just mentioned Lobos. I would say that when I was younger uh, and I you know, I, pl- I play a lot of instruments and people would say, Oh man, you play a lot of instruments. I say, no, David Hidalgo plays a lot of
0: instruments. Yes, he does. You know, <laughs> and I
1: I. I, rem- I I remember just being enamored with that guy. Just, I always thought he was like Prince, you know, <laughs> like, he could do anything. He sounds good. It's like, writes great songs. And it's like, come to find out, he's like shy about his own voice. Doesn't really like it that much. I'm like, geez, I guess Jerry might've been a little, I heard that Jerry was kind of like that too. I'm like, wow. Okay. Um, well, Steve Berlin, who, who's in Los Lobos produced, th- I want to say three of my albums. Oh
0: really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Right on. Man.
1: He did. Yeah. And so I've known them for God since then. So that was 2000 and before I met Phil. So 2004 maybe is when I met them five open for them at the Fillmore and, and, and then just started doing more shows with them. opening him, it up for, Oh, I'll tell you a funny story. <laughs> One time we, uh, Steve and uh, Steve called me and, and had me come to a gig of theirs in, uh, in Colorado at Boulder, the Fox. And uh, to talk he was going to produce my record which was at the, that was american myth record he's like come you know come to the gig we'll hang out and uh and work on some stuff so i'm going to i go down to the dressing room downstairs you know that spiral staircase that leads you yeah. downstairs <laughs> yeah. and he had, they have a guy down there who's a hot dog vendor who i guess they brought in <laughs> from LA I guess he's like the street hot dog vendor he was doing their catering for the evening and it was like and I was like dude that's so vibey that's
0: awesome Conrad sitting so there with a glass of wine and a hot dog yeah a
1: hot dog and I'm like dude I'm like that's the shit like like with the cart you know the cart like the <laughs>
0: they, they, are. I
1: just thought that was awesome I was like that's my kind of band right there
0: yeah man they're one of my i mean you talk about like what your experience with the crows you know i saw Los lobos for the first time in the 80s early 80s like 85 before before la bamba before they hit big and became one of my favorite bands instantly and now whenever we're together i play percussion with them which is just a "Ah." and i've been trying forever to get david on so david if you're listening return a text message because i really want to get you on a (laughs) podcast bet you haven't heard back. come on man come on dude <laughs> all right man hey before i let you go i do this with every one of my with my every one of my guests a quick lightning round just answer as quick as you can you know okay usually it doesn't go very fast okay well you never saw grateful dead so i can't say first show let's let's move here uh studio recordings or live recordings when it comes to the dead Ooh. studio favorite grateful dead album mars hotel thank you and here's the one that everybody hates favorite non-grateful dead album that desert island album favorite non-grateful dead album the one you're taking with you to the desert uh, island.
1: bill withers adjustments
0: all right you answered that so much faster than most people thank you first job that's one of
1: my favorite records of all time yeah first job uh ooh, good one. taco bell
2: <laughs>
0: how about that favorite,
1: yeah
2: favorite color
1: Green. <laughs> you're wearing green right now, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, I
1: can't believe it took me like more than one second. To, well,
0: <laughs> I mean, honestly, <laughs> like, like it's it, some people does like commentaries, and I asked him favorite color black. Didn't take yeah, well, to, yeah, right. Well, it'd second. be it'd be dishonest
1: if he said anything well, other. than that. right. Everybody would call about. They'd be like, dude, you're full of shit. <laughs> yeah, full of it, dude. uh Favorite venue to play. Ooh. That's probably a tough one. Oh, I'm going to say the Fillmore.
0: Uh, Definitely a good answer there. Uh, Best city for a day off.
1: Mm. American city. Or or not. Okay. Oh, boy. Well, see, that that gets rough because then you start getting all fancy and you're like, where have I only been like once where I'd like, you know what I mean? (laughs) I'll be someplace in Switzerland. Right. You know, once in my life. So I'd like to pick that. But really, you don't know anything about the place. You know, right. So it's like uh, I'm going to say I'm going to actually say. A great place for a day off is m- my town here of Sacramento.
0: Right on. All right. It's
1: a, it's a great it's a great day for a day
0: off. Oh, I like Sacramento. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's a good,
1: good town. You can get around easy is what is why I say that.
0: I have a couple of <laughs> friends there. So, so I come out there every once in a while. Yeah. Um, first car.
1: Ooh. Toyota Celica I want to say is this or Corolla Celica that's like a right. hatchback I think it was hatchback
0: yeah that would be the Celica yeah. thing uh, current car
1: Ford Explorer
0: book you are reading right now
1: plant uh it's a botany book can't remember botany book.
0: yeah any magazine subscriptions
1: no people have magazine subscriptions
0: they, they still exist <laughs> man they still exist and uh, lastly, besides playing live, what are you most excited to have back in your life as we come out of this craziness?
2: Baseball! <laughs> All right, a
0: baseball fan. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah you get cool. Oh, you can't see it. It's not a wide angle. I have like tons of baseball stuff everywhere. You couldn't uh, see I've, it.
0: I've got a little bit around here myself. <laughs> oh, I see. I got my Jerry, though. Cool. Right on. Right. There you go um well hey man jackie green thank you so much for taking the time and sharing some of your insight i know everybody's gonna appreciate it and it was for me it was really enjoyable just to hang out and get to chat with you my pleasure to appreciate it my pleasure thank you guys that's jackie green man take care of my friend thank you brother wow what a what an insightful conversation i, I really enjoyed that well, that brings us to the end of another episode, and I'd like to thank Jackie Green one more time. I'd also like to thank my sponsors, Grateful Sweats, The Clean Store, and Beth Koritz at Your Clarity Coach. And of course, the Pantheon Podcast Network for bringing me into their family. You can check out their 70-plus music-related podcasts at www.pantheonpodcast.com. If you enjoyed the show and would like to support the cause, please consider a monthly Patreon subscription that offers some great bonus content with every episode, or you can show your love with a one-time contribution, and please remember that a portion of your contribution will go to the Rex Foundation. Get info about this and everything else related to the podcast at our website, www.themusicplaystheband.net. Any love is much appreciated as we try and keep the show rolling along. The Music Plays the Band is produced by myself and the production and songwriting team Brothers Lazaroff here in St. Louis, Missouri. You can find out more about them at www.brotherslazaroff.com. The opening and segue music you are hearing are remixes of portions of DSO drum segments that are produced by my drumming partner, Dino English, and that album should be coming out real soon. I will definitely let you know. I'll be back as soon as I can with episode number 34 but in the meantime be on the lookout for a special edition with my full unedited conversation with the late Rick Turner. Until then stay safe stay healthy and please stay vigilant. Things are good right now and we really want to keep it that way. Thanks for being here.